0: Bruff is located in the heart of County Limerick, nestled within the fertile golden vale of Munster. The name Bruff derives from the Gaelic Bruna Dacia, or the fort of the Dacia people. The Dacia were a tribal people in ancient Ireland, and although they are mostly associated with County Waterford, part of the tribe inhabited eastern County Limerick. The territory around Bruff was known as Daisha Bjog, which means the small place of the Dacia whereas Waterford was known as Dacia Moor, the large place of the Dacia. The word brew also translates to a place of importance and signifies a palace or distinguished residence. This distinguished residence was located at Unbim Lachine, which translates to the beautiful little fort. A large and impressive ring fort stands in the peaceful grove in Bruff today, and we will explore this site later on our tour. Brough is rich in local heritage and culture and has made a significant contribution to the history of Ireland. But its contribution to the history of the United States of America is what Brough is most well known for today, as Brough is the ancestral home of one of America's most famous dynasties, the Fitzgerald Kennedys. Our tour of Bruff starts at the northern end of the town, across the road from the Community Café. Here you can find an information panel about Bruff's most famous descendants, the Fitzgeralds, and close by is the Thomas Fitzgerald Centre. When you are ready, please make your way over to the information panels to begin your tour. Thomas Fitzgerald. Bruff can lay claim to be the ancestral home of one of America's most famous dynasties, as it was here that the story of John Fitzgerald Kennedy, the 35th President of the United States of America, begins. In 1852, a local man by the name of Thomas Fitzgerald left his home just outside Bruff for the last time. He was heading for the port of Cove in County Cork, a long and arduous journey at the time but Thomas had plans to venture much further than Cove. He was headed for a new life in the United States of America. Like so many of his generation, Thomas saw America as a land of opportunity. He was not the only Irishman to head for the boat in search of a better life. However, as history would prove, America as a country would be made a better place by the arrival of Thomas on her shores. Rough lost a beloved son, America gained a great father. When Thomas Fitzgerald left Bruff, the only item he took with him was the Fitzgerald Family Bible. His faith was a strong support to him and has continued to be a source of great strength to successive generations of the family throughout the years. This very Bible was used in 1961, when Thomas Fitzgerald's great-grandson was sworn in as the 35th President of the United States of America. And today, the Bible has a prominent place in the John Fitzgerald Kennedy Library in Boston. Upon his arrival in America, Thomas took up residence in Boston, joining his other siblings who had gone before him. He began his working life as a street peddler before progressing into the retail trade and eventually becoming a shopkeeper. He later went on to become a substantial property owner. He married Rosanna Cox from Cavan, and among their children was a son. John Fitzgerald. John married his cousin, Josephine Hannan, whose father had also emigrated from Brough. From a young age, John became very involved in local politics, and so began what can only be described as an outstanding political career for a first-generation Irish-American. His warm, charming personality and stylish manner earned him the nickname Honey Fitz. John Honey Fitzgerald went on to serve three different terms as Mayor of Boston and two terms as a member of the US Congress for Massachusetts. He broke new ground in American politics and ensured that the Irish immigrant community in Boston had effective political representation. John Honey Fitz visited Bruff on two different occasions, and on one of these occasions he brought his daughter Rose with him. Rose Fitzgerald later married Joe Kennedy, whose ancestors came from Wexford, and together they had nine children, including John, who in 1961 became the 35th president of the United States of America. When his own political career ended, John Honey Fitz spent considerable time mentoring his grandson John, the future president, in the art of politics, and campaigned for him in the US congressional elections of 1946. Since Thomas Fitzgerald left Brough in 1852, every generation of the Fitzgerald Kennedy family have returned to visit their ancestral home. On the 21st of June 2013, at the invitation of Bruff Heritage Group, Caroline Kennedy, accompanied by her husband and children and her cousin Sydney Lawford, a daughter of Patricia Kennedy, visited Bruff. They were marking the 50th anniversary of President Kennedy's visit to Ireland. On that occasion in June 1963, President Kennedy referred to his ancestral home in County Limerick by saying, This is not the land of my birth, but it is the land for which I hold the deepest affection. I shall return in springtime. Sadly, he was never to return, as just months later, on November 22, 1963, President John F. Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, Texas. Close to the information panel is the former courthouse. This building now houses the Thomas Fitzgerald Centre. Inside you can view a permanent exhibition of photographs and memorabilia associated with President Kennedy and his family. This exhibition depicts the story of the Fitzgerald's journey from the Palatine Road Brough to the White House. When you are ready, please make your way over to the Thomas Fitzgerald Centre. Before it was converted into the Thomas Fitzgerald Centre, Bruff Courthouse had its own story to tell. It was built in 1813 and was originally an imposing three-storey building, making it one of the town's most prominent buildings. It was used as a courthouse until 1920, when local Irish Republican Army volunteers burned it down during the War of Independence to prevent British soldiers from using it as a base. It was rebuilt in 1926, but only as a single-storey structure and continued to be used as a courthouse until 2006. A very important reform in the history of the Irish legal system was introduced as a direct result of an occurrence in this courthouse in 1829. This was the establishment of the right of the Irish citizen to have legal representation and the prevention of local magistrates from obstructing this right. Petty session courts were formally established in Ireland in the 1820s, when the country was divided into court districts. These court sessions were held regularly, usually fortnightly, and they heard minor local cases such as disputes, public order offences and theft. Paid clerks were appointed, however, the magistrates continued to be unpaid and were drawn overwhelmingly from the upper-class landowners. It was frequently asserted that many magistrates were unsuitable acted arbitrarily, and abused their positions to the detriment of those seeking justice. The issue of the right to be represented by a professional lawyer arose at the Brough Petty Sessions in August 1829. This case was brought by a man named Griffin against the tollkeeper of a fair, Mr McGrath. The magistrates for the case were Darby O'Grady and Michael Bevan. A barrister from Charleville, Mr James Croke, stated to the court that he was appearing on behalf of the plaintiff, Mr Griffin. The magistrates refused to allow him to act in that capacity, and when he persisted in claiming his right, Mr Croke was duly placed in the dock. Mr Croke took his case to the Irish Bar, which appealed to the Lord Chancellor of Ireland... ...and demanded the removal of the two magistrates... ...for their insult to Mr Croak... ...and by extension the entire legal profession. The Lord Chancellor ordered the magistrates... ...to rescind their illegal rule... ...against the presence of professional advocates. In response to this order... ...the magistrates asserted... ...that Croak's behaviour in court... ...had been impudent and threatening... ...and that he was drunk. Croak sued both magistrates for libel... ...and the case was heard in Dublin in 1830... The jury decided in favour of Mr Croak and awarded him £500 damages and his costs. In the aftermath of this decision, there were calls for the dismissal of the magistrates. Neither of the magistrates resigned. However, they had lost the important point of principle and the Petty Sessions court procedure was permanently altered to the benefit of the Irish citizen. James Croke later emigrated to Melbourne, Australia and became Solicitor General of the State of Victoria in 1852. A plaque on the wall outside this courthouse, unveiled by Justice Mary O'Halloran in 2003, commemorates this important legal victory. In 2006, when the District Court was transferred to the nearby town of Kilmallock, the future of the building looked uncertain and the authorities had planned to close it. However, Brough Heritage Group approached various state agencies and it was agreed to lease it on a long-term basis to Brough Heritage Group. They undertook a programme of renovation which led to the very fine facility you see today. When you have completed your visit to the Thomas Fitzgerald Centre, cross back over the road and proceed to the next stop. The Church of Saints Peter and Paul. The site for the Church of Saints Peter and Paul was donated to the people of Bruff in 1828 by the Earl of Limerick. Work commenced immediately and the first Mass was celebrated on the 1st of November, 1829. As you enter through the main door of the church, the baptistry is just behind the door in an alcove on the left-hand side. It contains the original baptismal font which has been completely restored. It was at this font that Thomas Fitzgerald was baptised. And it was here in the church that Caroline Kennedy and her family viewed the ancestral records of the Fitzgerald family in June 2013, and they attended a special remembrance service for deceased members of the Fitzgerald family. On the 22nd of November each year, a special Mass is held to mark the anniversary of the death of President John Fitzgerald Kennedy. As you walk up the church, your attention is drawn to the beautiful stained glass windows. The windows on the top left hand side of the aisle include the scene of Jesus and the children and a panel of Christ ascending. The windows on the right feature the assumption of Mary and Lazarus being raised from the dead. At the bottom of one of the stained glass windows there is a written dedication to Sean the Vale, or in English, Sean Wall. This provides a connection to the next stop on our tour, the Sean Wall Memorial across the road. The Sean Wall Monument This prominent monument commemorates Sean Wall's role in the struggle for Irish independence, as well as the role played by members of the East Limerick Brigade of the Irish Republican Army in the early 1900s. Sean Wall was born in the parish of Brough in 1888. His training in the cause of Irish independence began at an early age, when he attended Irish language classes. Sean Wall's enthusiasm for the language seemed to grow with his years, and with it, a deep love for his country. The events of the Easter Rising in 1916 had stirred his soul and he joined the Irish Volunteers in 1917. He was appointed captain of the Volunteer Force in Bruff. His organising abilities and capacity for leadership were soon recognised by the Volunteer Headquarters. Early in 1919, he was appointed to the command of the East Limerick Brigade. From then on Sean Wall's whole world seemed to be concentrated on the military struggle that was deepening in intensity every day. The first engagement of the brigade under his command was at Ballylanders early in 1920 when the Royal Irish Constabulary Barracks was attacked. Attacks followed in quick succession at towns and villages nearby. These attacks, along with other engagements, made the name of the East Limerick Brigade famed throughout the land. Other responsibilities fell upon the shoulders of Sean Wall in those hectic days. He was also leader of the Sinn Féin organisation in East Limerick and the chairman of Limerick County Council. He had all the qualities of a great leader. He was a builder by profession and he brought strong planning, organisational and motivational skills to his political and military roles. On May 6th 1921 Sean Wall was on his way to an IRA Divisional Council meeting when he and his staff were attacked by a police raiding party in a house near Anacarty in County Tipperary. In the fighting that followed, Sean was cut off from his companions. His body was subsequently found on the roadside, shot at close quarters. The idea of a memorial to Sean Wall and other fallen men of the 3rd Battalion was first conceived in Bruff in 1943. The project was taken up enthusiastically throughout East Limerick, and even in neighbouring counties. Collections were held at every church gate in County Limerick, while subscriptions poured in from all over the country and from America. On October 12th, 1952, the President of Ireland, Sean T. O'Kelly, unveiled this imposing memorial which you see here to Brigadier Sean Wall and the other volunteers who fell in the War of Independence from 1920 to 1921. The President remarked that Sean Wall was... Typical of all that is best in Irish manhood, he was a wise, bold and skilful leader, a brave soldier, a helpful and cheerful comrade, and, as was proved when he was elected chairman of the County Council, an able and just administrator. His dear comrades, Captain Conway, Lieutenant Quinlan, and volunteers Maloney, Sheehan, and Wade, were true to the best traditions of this great and noble country. What greater praise can one give them? All of them gave up their lives so that Ireland might be free. What nobler sacrifice could any man offer on the altar of Irish liberty? When you are ready, please leave the Sean Wall Monument and continue down the main street to the large building which was once the Royal Irish Constabulary Barracks. Royal Irish Constabulary Barracks On 17 August 1870, the Earl of Limerick leased a plot of ground to Paul Godfrey of Dublin Castle, receiver for the Constabulary Force of Ireland. The building of the barracks for the Royal Irish Constabulary was completed in 1876. Living accommodation in the four-storey building was provided for 21 men. Because of its unusual design, local legend suggests that the construction plans of a barracks in India were mistakenly swapped for those in Brough. The barracks was the base for the British police and military presence in this area during the War of Independence. It was from here that a notorious raid on an IRA fundraising dance at nearby Cahirgillimore House was planned and executed. During this raid on St Stephen's Night 1920, five IRA men were shot dead, while many of those attending the dance were severely beaten by police and soldiers. With the signing of the Anglo-Irish Treaty in December 1921, Plans were made for the disbandment of the RIC, and by the 14th of January 1922, all the police stationed at Bruff had vacated the barracks and moved to Limerick City, where the final evacuation took place a month later. The barracks reopened as Bruff Garda Station on September 25th, 1922. A new Garda Station was built in recent years, and the old RIC barracks is now in private ownership. When you are ready, please leave the barracks and proceed further down the same side of the street to our next stop, Clancy's Bar and O'Donovan's Hall. Outside Clancy's Bar, there is a plaque commemorating the friendship between the writer James Joyce and George Clancy. Clancy was born in Grange, near Bruff, and attended University College Dublin with Joyce in 1900. The character Davin in Joyce's semi-autobiographical novel Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man is said to be based on Clancy. And he thought of his friend Davin, the peasant student. It was a jesting name between them, but the young peasant bore with it lightly. Go on, Stevie, I have a hard head, you tell me. Call me what you will. In later years, Joyce revealed that George Clancy was the only one of his university friends who called him by his first name. George Clancy was active in the Irish independence movement and was a member of the Gaelic League, the Gaelic Athletics Association and the Irish Volunteers and Sinn Féin. He was elected Mayor of Limerick in 1921. While serving as Mayor, he and former Mayor Michael O'Callaghan were shot dead by the British forces on March 7, 1921. Clancy was only 40 years of age when he was killed. Further down the street, opposite the Bank of Ireland, is O'Donovan's Hall. A plaque on the building has an Irish inscription which translates to, It was in this place that Sean O'Riada played in public for the first time in 1952. The plaque was unveiled by the late musician's sister Louise Verling in 1995. Sean O'Reda was the foremost Irish music composer of the 20th century and is credited with spearheading the revival of traditional music in the 1960s. His father was a Garda sergeant who was stationed in Brough. He received his musical training at the local Faithful Companions of Jesus, or FCJ Convent, and was later educated at University College Cork. Sean O'Riada's first performance was for a Variety concert to raise funds for the IRA Memorial to Sean Wall. O'Riada needed lots of encouragement as he was making his stage debut. The concert went on for two nights and he did a half-hour solo spot on both nights. He played both classical and traditional music, showing even then the great talent which was to make him famous. O'Donovan's Hall was built in the early 1900s Silent films were shown in the building until 1926 when a deadly fire in a hall in Drumcollar, County Limerick led to the closure of all cinemas. O'Donovan's then became a venue for dances for many years and dancers from all over East Limerick cycled long distances to attend. When you are ready, please continue your walk down Main Street until you reach our next stop, the former Church of Ireland. This church is reputed to have been built on the site of an earlier Catholic church and has been restored in recent times. It was originally built in the 17th century by Lady Glentworth. The building was dedicated to St Peter of Alexandria. The church tower is believed to be the oldest part of the building and dates back to around the 1500s. There is a tomb just inside the main gate to the left containing the remains of Ensign Alexander Sutherland of the 69th Regiment, who was killed by a fall from his horse in 1831. It is said that his beloved horse is buried with him. According to local tradition, Daniel O'Connell, the Liberator, spoke from these steps outside the church while passing through Bruff in 1843. O'Connell was the foremost political figure in Ireland in the early 1800s and was a passionate defender of Catholic rights in Ireland. O'Connell was on his way to Charleville to address thousands of supporters at one of his great public events known as a Monster Meeting. He held these meetings throughout the country, calling for repeal of the Act of Union with the United Kingdom. It is said that there was such a multitude of people greeting him at his arrival at Bruff that it took him over half an hour to get through the town. A memorial inside the church commemorates John James Williamson, a local man who died of malarial fever in South Africa in 1897 while serving with the police there. In late 1895, he participated in the famous Jemson Raid under the command of Leander Starr Jemson. This incident was part of a wider conflict between the British and Boers in South Africa and provided the inspiration for Rudyard Kipling's poem, If. When you are ready, Please leave the church and proceed towards the bridge. The De Lacy's of Bruff. As you make your way over the bridge and look to your right, across the river on the raised ground is the site of the castle of the De Lacy family, once the most powerful family in Bruff. Unfortunately, nothing visible remains of the castle and court that was built in the mid-1200s. The De Lacy family were part of a powerful Anglo-Norman dynasty were granted lands in South Limerick. However, by the 1500s they had integrated with the local chieftains and were supporting Gaelic and Anglo-Irish lords in the struggle against English forces. Pierce de Lacey was a staunch ally of the Earl of Desmond who rebelled against the English in the 1580s and he played an important military role in the revolt. Piers de Lacy continued to be a thorn in the side of the English during the Nine Years' War from 1594 to 1603. On April 6, 1600, he led his forces into battle against the English garrison of Kilmallock under Captain Slingsby. 300 men were slaughtered on each side of this bloody encounter. De Lacy was later forced to abandon and burn his own castle. He died in an ambush in Armagh the following year. The leader of the English forces in Ireland at the time, Lord Mountjoy, referred to him as the most dangerous rebel of Munster. A descendant of his, also called Pierce de Lacey, took part in two sieges of Limerick one during the Cromwellian campaign in 1650 and the second in 1691 during the Jacobite Williamite War. Aged almost 70 during the second siege, he died there while in command of his troops. The de Lacey family continued in prominent military careers in Europe following the flight of the wild geese. The flight of the wild geese occurred after the Williamite Wars when the Irish soldiers left to fight in European armies following the defeat of the Jacobite army in Ireland. When you are ready, please continue over the bridge and turn right into the entrance of the public park, known as the Grove. In 1915, the grove was given to the people of Bruff by the Earl of Limerick to be used for recreational purposes. It is vested in trustees and maintained by Limerick County Council and Bruff Tidy Towns. It stands on the bank of the Morning Star River and is alive with a wide range of flora and fauna amidst a variety of trees. You can experience a wonderful dawn chorus here that you will never forget. The grove is home to Anbinle Sheen, a fine example of a ringfort. Ringforts date to the early medieval period which began around 1500 years ago. Ringforts were dwelling places and farmsteads which were the most common form of rural settlement in early medieval Ireland. They were generally formed by at least one ditch with an interior bank of earth and sometimes surrounded by a palisade fence. This provided protection for the inhabitants and their livestock. The Ringfort was situated at a strategic fording point on the river, where the shallow water was easier to cross. This romantic and historic place was associated with the 18th century local poet Brian of While walking by the banks of the river, a beautiful fairy maiden came out of the Bin Lishin or Ringfort, and spoke to him. Struck with her beauty and inspired by her soothing speech, Combined with the lovely surroundings, Brian burst into song. The birds carolled songs of delight, and the flowers bloomed bright on my path, as I stood all alone on the height where rises Bruff's old fairy wrath. Before me, unstirred by the wind, that beautiful lake lay outspread, whose waters give sight to the blind and would almost awaken the dead. The English verse was translated by James Clarence Mangan. When you are ready, please make your way back out of the Grove. Cross the road to the Dean Cusson School and stop in front of the information panel. Education in Bruff. The pedestrian gate and wall at the front of the new Dean Cusson School is all that remains of St. Patrick's Monastery. This was the former Christian Brothers School Building The Christian brothers arrived in Brough in 1854 but left around 40 years later in sudden and controversial circumstances rooted in a dispute with the Bishop of Limerick. They were replaced in 1907 by the De La Salle brothers who remained until 1973. Between them, both orders educated generations of children in Brough. An information panel on the wall of the new school gives a fuller account of the history of education here. Visible behind the school is a tall building which is the former convent of the Faithful Companions of Jesus, or FCJ Order of Nuns. They arrived in Bruff in 1856, and the convent building was completed in 1859. It was a girls' boarding school for many years. The school closed in 2012, and the building is now being developed into a sports academy by Limerick Football Club. The new school is named Skull Dean Cusson and a statue in the corner of the school grounds commemorates a man who diligently worked to establish formal education in Brough. He served as parish priest from 1840 to 1865 and was instrumental in bringing the FCJ sisters and Christian brothers here during the 1850s. From the statue, cross the road via the pedestrian crossing, walk back towards Brough and turn right before the bridge. This will bring you to our next stop, the former Carberry Arms Hotel. The Carberry Arms Hotel was originally owned by Lord Carberry. The Royal Mail Coach stopped here and it was a posting house on the Bianconi stagecoach route from Cork to Limerick. Charles Bianconi was one of the earliest innovators of public transport in Europe and the founder of Ireland's first public transport system, having started his stagecoach routes in 1815. The famous Cahermi horse fair also attracted people to this area, and in the early 19th century, Napoleon's men stayed here at the Carberry Arms when they were buying horses for the Emperor's army. Today, the building has been transformed into three private residences. Beside the Carbury Arms, and opposite the second bridge over the Morningstar River, is the entrance to the former Adelaide school, which is now a private residence. Building of the school was instigated by Reverend Godfrey Massey in 1843. In 1850, there were 83 Anglicans and 140 Catholics, all receiving a sound grounding in the three oars, reading, writing and arithmetic, and food was provided for orphans. The presence of the school and Reverend Massey's efforts to convert Bruff to the Anglican faith during these decades often brought him into conflict with his Catholic counterparts. Between the two bridges over the Morningstar River is the park. The park was once an area of commonage for grazing cattle. To the left, in the river near the bridge, there was an area formerly used by the women of Bruff for washing laundry. Groups of women regularly gathered here to wash family laundry on spittle stones in the stream bed. They pounded the laundry against the stones with wooden implements, while catching up on local gossip and events. Today the park is a pleasant recreational area and is frequented by young and old. In June 2013 Caroline Kennedy Schlossberg planted a mountain ash in honour of Lenore Quilty, who was president of Brough Tidy Towns for 25 years and a Fitzgerald cousin of Caroline's. Lenore sadly passed away a year prior to the visit. Caroline's cousin, Sydney Kennedy Lawford, planted a similar tree in honour of members of the Fitzgerald families. Both trees are facing you as you enter the park. There are also two beds of flowers known as the Kennedy Primroses, which were specially commissioned for the occasion. When you are ready, please retrace your steps back up the main street to Chapel Lane, which will be on your right. Collinswell and Crawfords Lane. Chapel Lane is the first road to your right as you walk back up the main street. It traces the banks of the old Samare River, later changed to Camair, which means dawn or daybreak, which was anglicised into the modern name Morning Star. Approximately 150 metres down at the end of Chapel Lane is Collins Well. It was owned by Thomas Collins, an auctioneer, and it was one of two main sources of water prior to the installation of the town supply in 1927. Locals would come here with their horse and cart and fill churns of water from the well, which has now been restored. An early RIC barracks stood at the entrance to Old Chapel Lane. Four small detention cells are still to be seen behind the main building, which has now been transformed into two private houses. Crawford's Lane is the next street on your right after Chapel Lane. It was home to numerous writers, scholars and poets from the mid-1700s to the present day including the aforementioned Brian of Flaherty and Dahio Hogan, former Professor of Folklore at University College Dublin. Another notable resident was Reverend Patrick Fitzgerald, co-author of The History, Topography and Antiquities of Limerick. Approximately 200 metres along Crawford's Lane is the Gaelic Athletics Association grounds. Ruff has a special connection with the GAA. The Liam McCarthy Cup, which is presented annually to the All-Ireland Hurling Champions, was donated to the GAA by Liam McCarthy in 1921, in memory of his mother, Bridget Dineen. She was originally from Crawfords Lane in Brough and emigrated to London where Liam was born. Conclusion We have now reached the end of our walking tour of Brough. If you wish, you can now make your way back to the Community Café and enjoy a well-earned break. We highly recommend that as part of your visit to the area, you take the time to visit Loch Gar, one of Ireland's most important and beautiful archaeological landscapes. You can also visit Old Irish Ways in Cahir which houses a unique collection of Irish memorabilia and artefacts depicting life over the last 100 years. For more information on events and the history of Bruff, please visit www.visitbruff.com. We hope you have enjoyed this audio guide, which was produced by Abarta Audio Guides with assistance from the Bruff Heritage Group and supported by Ballyhara Development Limited as part of the Rural Development Programme. Gonniarion lat. may the road rise to meet you.